November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived, and how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects, and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters, and try to find out what they love and hate about the show, what their favourite memories are, and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long. My guest this week is Derek Gladue from the Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by soundonsite.org. Welcome to the show, Derek. Bonjour. Ah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you, or should I say mon pleasure? You just did. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I figure I have to represent La Belle Provence uh, myself, if only to to uh, to give credence to the the conspiracy theories that Canadians are taking over Doctor Who podcasts. I think you are actually. Yeah, there's yeah. something in that. There's definitely something in that. Now, I usually start these interviews off by saying, you know, how did you get into Doctor Who? Uh, but I think um, at the time we're recording, there's something a bit more pertinent, and that is the fact of uh, in the 50th year we have a new Doctor announced. In the shape of Peter Capaldi, what has been your take on that? And what a shape it is. We went from a skinny, very charismatic British person with blue eyes to a slightly older, skinny, slightly, you know, uh, charismatic British person with blue eyes. Uh, I, I'm, I actually have been a big fan of Peter Capaldi for ever since uh, a, a lovely little... Um, sweet film called Local Hero. I've, I'm a, by Bill Forsyth. It, yep. Everybody's going on IMDb now looking at his work because for the next year, that's all we're going to see of him. Yep. And I would recommend that. Local Hero's great. I'm a big fan of uh, In the Thick of It uh, and Into the Loop. Uh, so I, I, was, I was a bit surprised because his per- persona, uh, his, probably his most popular per- persona is of a foul-mouthed uh, spin Doctor, who I'm sure there's going to be a mashup. Go Internet, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I, think, uh, I uh, think there already is, actually. But. Of, of that, I mean, my favorite is him describing Star Wars. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what's the movie like? Uh, the one about the space hairdresser. He has got a cowboy for a friend and he fucked his fucking sister. I'm sorry, I'm being very, very <laughs> profound. Uh, uh, profane, sorry. Uh, but I, 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 I'm in, I'm love, I'm love it with it. But I never had a doubt that oh, would they find a talented actor in all of Britain? And 
I, that was never my my concern. I knew that they were going to find somebody, uh, a, a great talent to, to take it. I think the only question was, was it going to be a person of color or would it be possibly a woman? Mm. And I never had any doubt in my mind that they were going to go with an older doctor and they were going to remain male. Um, and we, we can talk about the ramifications of that, but I, I just don't think that Stephen Moffat's comfort zone is in writing women. And he, we've just more or less, for lack of a better term, broken a new companion. And I don't think he was going to really write outside of that and uh, change the dynamic too much. And I'll even go on, on, on record and I'll say, I don't think the doctor should be played by a woman. I think if we're going to do diversity, it should be within a larger ensemble cast. Yeah, uh, like in the RTD days. And there's just something about the doctor's energy that is particularly male. I'm not saying that there's not female uh, actors out there who'd be fantastic for this. And it might be very, very uh, compelling to, to watch. And I'm sure it's inevitable. Uh, doctor Who fans are, well, how could, fluid in their sexuality, I think. And there's been enough new fans who would really like this to to move on. I'm sure it's inevitable that one day we will see a female doctor, but I think we'll quickly move back to the old archetype. I think the show has, the show is always a better window than a mirror. And uh, I I don't think the doctor has to look like me or sound like me to appeal to me. And I'm, I'm, I I think that the, the, the few constants of the show, Madman with a Box, the TARDIS and, you know, uh, a, a sympathetic companion are, are the few consistent and, and keep with it. Uh, doesn't mean that we can try, you know, we've tried uh, diff- different approaches to the show from, from very early on. Even just stranding him uh, in 1970s slash 80s Earth uh, during the unit years, that was a change. Uh, the romance uh, during Tenet's time was a change. The show is all about embracing change. Uh, but I think um, I think I, I'm just going to only speak from from personal. But one of the the great uh, uh, appeals of the show is the character himself. And when I was growing up during the Rambo years, uh, <laughs> where where all problems were solved by as well as usually started with mindless violence, the Doctor was such a breath of fresh air. The the fact that he would stand up to bullies, the fact that he wasn't. He's not a pacifist. He's a champion. Uh, but the, the fact that he would, uh, he would do it with such style and great, such style, grace, and sheer Britishness of things, uh, I think that's a great role model. And I'm not suggesting that should a fictional character change genders, that this is taking something away from me. But that's one of the appeal. I think it would be a loss uh, of, of role models for, for young boys who are curious and maybe going through a rough teenage years and and somebody can say well there's plenty of male roles in, in TV yes yeah. Don, Don Draper Walter White there's a lot of anti-heroes right now mm. but uh, but Doctor Who is is an anti-hero who's who's roguish but not a cad and not and he's he's he is sensitive and he is curious in every sense of the word and he is a champion for the underdog and he and he is you know part tourist and part shit disturber uh the, one of the, the greatest appeals is his character. And when I was growing up, it was just so reassuring that on Saturdays uh, at one o'clock, 
I could always count on, you know, a marathon session of Doctor Who. And then at 7 o'clock, I'd watch the, the new contemporary stuff. That was always just a, a bright part in, in my, my young adulthood. Uh, just knowing that, that I, su- suspecting that it was okay to be a little bit different. And I'll, I'll never, and I can understand why other people want to try something new, but that's just speaking for me. That's, uh, uh, that, that's, that, that I can only speak for myself. I, I, I think that it should stay male, but, uh, I suspect that we're going to try new things in a whole variety of different ways in the future. And, uh, I, as long as we keep it respectful and we don't we don't mock each other's uh, enthi- different enthusiasms, I'm I'm I'll always have a date on Saturday night with this. Uh, this that's uh, it. Skinny... That's it. Well, actually, I think before we come on to sort of your roots into in, into Doctor Who, um, it's in- interesting what you were saying about um, you know it, you, you think that Moffat's probably not the right person to write for um, for women. Um, do you also think the fans aren't quite ready, or a certain section of fans aren't quite ready for that kind of a change? Because it's already been quite apparent there's a certain section of fans aren't happy with the fact that they've cast an older actor. Uh, are you talking about what's called the the, the David Tennant fangirls? Yeah, the ghosts no, I, of the day. Yeah, which no, is I, it's I, a I totally it, sexist term. It is a totally but, sexist term. I mean, you've got fangirls and fanboys who are not entirely happy with this. Um, which I think will just blow over, and I, I've already commented that this is not the first time this has happened when they change the actor um, in, in the role of the Doctor. You always get people who will, I'm not going to watch him because I've seen him in this, or I've seen them in that, and I didn't like them, and I don't like him, and I'm not going to watch. And they just stop watching. And there will be a new breed of fans that will now come to the show. Um well, I mean, what's your, what's your take on this sort of this sort of um, sometimes things that happen in the show can split fandom right down the middle, and there's always sort of a little bit of squabbling goes on for for a bit. And does that does that you think that's a healthy debate, or does that kind of disappoint you some somewhat? Oh, well, you've just described fandom. That's that's what they do. It's you're it's like describing photosynthesis. It that's that's what it is. It, it is about squabbling over uh, minor debates. Uh, you know, over which period was better, which actor was better or worse, uh, what was the absolute worst of something. Um, but for me, the thing that appeals to doc- about Doctor Who is, and, and I'm not really particularly tech savvy, and I'm not normally a joiner, uh, which when I was growing up was easy with Doctor Who because I was the only Doctor Who fan I knew. Yeah. Uh, but if it occurred to me a few years ago when I started this that if I don't get involved now, I never will. And if it's not Doctor Who, then what could I possibly be as dedicated to? The one thing that I really love about Doctor Who fans is they're not particularly militant. Uh, the kind of flame wars that happen about uh, certain periods or, or whatever are relatively rare. And generally, people are pretty... I mean, every fandom will have its troll. But generally... That's because there's a lot of bridges uh, in Doctor Who. There's not as many walls. And sure, there are you know old farts and young farts who will who say that their time was the best. And and I, I understand that. But by and large, based on my um, again, I can only talk from my own personal experience. Generally, nice experience time. Yeah. Where I can even on Twitter, I'll, I'll uh, we'll have this raging debate about. 
uh, if Colin Baker was really the devil uh, or, or that time <laughs> was really the devil. It's, it's, it generally is, it, it ends up saying, well, you know, I can only, you know, I disagree entirely, but, uh, you know, thanks for, you know, uh, spending the last however long just debating this with me. They, they tend to be rather nice. And I think it's just because the show is, you can't be militant about a show with so many cellophane monsters. <laughs> and, and, and and you, you can't and, and the people who you know the the not the worst the best critics of the show are who fans and they 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 understand what doesn't work and and uh, and, and that's because the show has a lot of charm as opposed to a lot of well, like I could refer to a, a, you know a multi episodic space opera that was in in theaters not so long ago. Uh, that is technically perfect, mm. uh, you know, and, and cutting edge technology, but utterly bloodless. And it's the charm and it's the little and it's sometimes the rougher edges that I think mean that uh, we we can understand each other's rougher edges. We can't just say, oh, Doctor Who is perfect. That is a lie. There are so many <laughs> things wrong with it. But it, it's it. There's still enough about it. Even even I don't particularly like camp for its own sake. And the reason that I keep going back to the show is because even when the show is horns of Nyman, for example, even when it's not uh, working at all, there's still <laughs> enough little asides where you're going, oh, that was just a well delivered line, wasn't it? And and there's there's still enough charm, and the ethos of the show is appealing, and the main character is appealing. And so I don't think uh, – I'm not surprised that you know in the internet age we're, we're getting a bit more quick to offend. But by and large, a lot of the, the wars that we, we see in other fandoms uh, are kind of on a, on a bit of a lower frequency. And, and I don't think I would be a part of this sort of thing uh, if that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, that's a good answer, actually. Very good answer. That's, yeah, uh, all 47 minutes of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> So let's get to onto um, how you actually got into the show because you, you sort of briefly touched on um, you say in your, your young adulthood. Um, so what what time of life in particular was that, and, and which doctor was it? Because obviously um, you were watching this show on. As I've spoken to other um, Canadian fans, that it was all you've, they got into it through uh, public television, public service television. Um, so American, it, American public television. So. American. Okay. So so when exactly was. Uh, what, you know, was it you got into it, and, and who was the first doctor you saw? Well, I, I don't think that uh, a discussion about Doctor Who or television in general, or my exposure to media, uh, would be complete without mentioning PBS, yeah. uh, American Public Television. Uh, and you know, I, I hate to to terrify American listeners, but ninety percent of our population is on your border. Uh, we're ready to strike. Uh, so, uh, so we, a, a lot of us got uh, we, you know, piggybacked on certain um, uh, c- cable television uh, packages, and, and we. Hmm. I mean, I got three when I was in Montreal, uh, including a WETK, Plattsburgh, North Pole, Burlington, uh, and and it was such a. An eye-opening experience because I'm sure somebody out there has a compelling story about uh, how they got into Doctor Who. Mine is not one of them. It was just on. It was one of many things that I used to watch on, on PBS. It started in TVO uh, when I was living in Ontario. And uh, my dad and I, my, my earliest memory is watching Star Trek with my dad. I, I don't remember the episode, 
but I re- it's the I am Landru episode. And <laughs> I remember walking around the house going, I am Landru, and my dad just laughing, not laughing his ass off. Um, <laughs> that, uh, I, but, saw that, I saw that on very, very recently, actually. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So. <laughs> It's the will of Landrew, that was it. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I mean, early sci-fi uh, was a, a, an important part of uh, uh, daddy-son time. And, and yeah. I remember uh, watching uh, Tom Baker, and I still, for the life of me, I'll remember this probably till my, my last breath, uh, when he turns into a giant cactus man. It scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, so, th- so that was that was my my first exposure was was Tom Baker and, um, but but as I as I moved on uh, into Montreal, uh, PBS was such a bastion of different types of programming, and if you were sort of like an awkward kind of shy introverted youth, and and this whole world opens up, and this is before the internet, and you know watching. You know, mainstream, and, and not to say that I'm not a, a booster of the Canadian, uh, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting hmm. uh, Corporation. It's uh, it's just that its mandate is not as vast as PBS, which was to introduce entire, well, fill a lot of empty holes. They did a lot of really interesting programming themselves at local affiliates, but that's that's still so many hours that also has to be filled. So masterpiece theater. Faulty Towers, Yes Minister, uh, Doctor Who. Like there's so many programs that came my way through through them. I, I I was I was the kind of nerd when I was a kid that I would watch the New Year's Eve celebration at the the Viennese Philharmonic. Uh, it was it was an exposure to to a wider world that I just uh, I just longed for, mm. and so I can't so I can't separate Doctor Who and PBS entirely. It's it's uh, it's they both had their impact on me and and i i think i if it wasn't for the pbs i don't think i would have been uh able to embrace a, a lifelong anglophilia and if it wasn't for doctor who i don't think the importance of uh public broadcasting in north america would have been because if you're watching a program every week come hell or high water and and you're you're willing to listen to the pledge breaks and all of that then uh you know they're they're too interconnected and and uh, the '70s Doctor Who was the one that got the the most replay. Yeah. Uh, but the so and and Tom Baker and, and you know the the Pert Louis stuff as well, which I've I'm I'm really revisiting revisiting, revisiting now. Um, were about as different from the original series as I think Classic Who is from New Who, and and they're they're going through the same sort of stage. Uh, or they were going through the same sort of stage where um, the the original fans were growing up, and so they had to change and uh, go in new directions and become a bit more adult, but still be child friendly. Yeah. And um, so so that that to me was the high water mark of Doctor Who. I have some problems with the stuff in the eighties, but my contemporary Doctor in, in uh, nineteen eighty eight, when I really started watching the show fanatically was Sylvester McCoy and 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 I will be an advocate for his time I was going to say uh, yeah because he, he gets treated very unfairly this, this poor old Sylvester I, I don't think so I think I think the the, the wheel has spun around because um, up until the end uh, Tom Baker was the the doctor who's your favorite doctor is Tom Baker yeah. but in the last two years in Doctor Who magazine Sylvester McCoy took 
number one spot. And he did, he did have a following. And uh, I think most of the blame should now be on John Nathan Turner's shoulders uh, for, for lack of direction and not showing up to work, essentially. Intellectually not showing up for work during that time. Uh, but, but Sylvester McCoy is somebody who got my attention because I was, I was watching uh, essentially from – and honestly, saying that you like Tom Baker is saying like you like the Beatles – <laughs> uh, you know, true, it, actually, it, yeah. it, it means yeah. you 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 have a pulse. Whereas uh, McCoy is more Sonic Youth; he's more of the Ramones. You know, it, and it's a, a lot of it has to do with his, his relationship with Ace. Um, and you know, as a, I was a kid growing up, uh, you know, maturing, I, I saw you know the Colin Baker stuff, the Peter David stuff didn't really do it for me. Uh, the companions weren't as compelling, and the stories weren't as dark. And then, just as I was on the cusp of adolescence, I saw the show changing before me and, and really taking chances. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And, and some of... I, I don't own a lot of Doctor Who uh, stories. I own about 15. Hmm. And four of them are McCoy's. And, and so he, he'll always have... I, the, the show essentially gave the entire keys to the car to, to Cartmel, a 24 year old guy who's never had a real job before. And they said, you go with it. And they, he didn't get the memo that he was supposed to fail, but he did some of the, uh, the best writing. Uh, and he brought some really interesting writers. And I get the impression that John Nathan Turner just didn't care at that time. So he didn't, he didn't fight Cartmel like he did Eric Sayward. And, no, and he, he was, and, sure. and, the problem, I, I don't think that a producer has to be a writer, uh, but he does have to have a good script editor. He does have to have like a clear vision. And he shouldn't be afraid of writers. And I get the impression that John Nathan Turner was kind of terrified of new people. And that's why he kept bringing on reliable nobodies like Pip and Jane Baker for, well, you know, it's not going to be great, but it, they'll get it in on time. Well, I, th- I, th- I think Nathan Turner's a bit of a, or was a, a massive contradictions because when he took over in Tom Baker's last season, he wanted to cast aside all the old actors, uh, old actors, sorry, the old writers. So he didn't want the likes of uh, Robert Holmes coming back. He was very, yet- very reluctant to, to take on someone who was got a, a track record of delivering really good scripts for Doctor Who. But the interesting thing was he also took on Barry Letts as his executive producer to ease the transition. So. Um, as I said, he, he was sort of contradicting himself at every turn, really. No, I, I don't think he was contradicting, con- contradicting himself. He was uh, his, his mission statement is, I'm going to break from the past and I'm going to remake the show in my own image. And then it failed horribly and out of desperation, he had to go for guys like Robert Holmes, who Eric Sayward basically had a crush on. Uh, yeah, for, yeah. For, <laughs> uh, and 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 was mentored by him, and and they developed a very very uh, you know sorcerer's apprentice sort of uh, relationship, especially at the end when you know he died uh, in the middle of a script, and Eric Sayward was fighting for the changes, and John Nathan Turner is just terrified of of new people, and I've worked with people like that who are are terrified of people with ideas. And his main thing was, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send out feelers instead of commissioning script from, from our writers. And not all writers can write for Doctor Who. He no. said, well, it's an open call. And then nobody was interested. And so eventually, out of desperation, he had to 
to bring on Robert Holmes. And uh, some of the best scripts of the 80s came from that. I, I still enjoy The Two Doctors. I think it's uh, you know, flawed but very fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a good story with, with the Sontarans just tagged on for no apparent reason. So. I, th- I think they needed sort of like a little bit of gravity, uh, gravitas. And yeah. So. And I thought, that, I, I thought the Sontarans would do it for him. So, is, I mean, is, what, what is it in particular that sort of made you keep coming back to Doctor Who? I mean, it, is it the fact there's nothing else, in your mind, there's nothing else to compare to it? Especially sort of like American television, because in the 80s, us in the UK were being wowed by all the glossy shows coming from North America. And Doctor Who started to wane in popularity. Um, is, is it that fact that it, it, it looks a bit cheap, so they... they plow more into into the storyline that, that 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 does it for you um no it's the character it's the main character yeah uh that's that was always my my bright my bright beacon when i was growing up the uh so uh, obviously there's some peri- some periods that the doctor's really at his best for me uh but you know he he's a guy who uh really can stand up to bully like a lot of his his worst enemies are are bigots and bullies and supremacists. Yeah, and and so to just have a guy who's just very clever, uh, you know, he's not you know shooting down a hundred you know bus busload of Viet Minh or whatever. He's just very clever, and he's just uh, he's he's just the kind of guy that I'd love to meet in a pub one day. And and you know, uh, I I don't I don't think uh, I, in recent years his his more dubious qualities have been put under uh, a microscope, but uh, the characters always appealed to me and, and it got me by. And, and as I said, when I was watching PBS, noticing something like, well, why are they shooting in film and, and then video? Mm. And, and, and it's just, I, I acclimatized myself to a different type of broadcasting early on. I, it was, it's always on. I acclimatized myself to it mm. and it ultimately, it was not about, uh, the slickness of it, and when you're a kid, you don't, you can't articulate, but maybe you do understand the difference between film and video. Uh, but it didn't matter as much when when Faulty ta- uh, Basil Faulty goes in and out of the, the you, know, fault, you know his hotel, and after hitting his car with a the twig of a tree, it didn't matter. I was laughing so hard. It didn't matter that there was some mismatch. It didn't quite gel. Uh, from an aesthetic point of view, it was the writing, it was the characters, it was the the, the type of pro- programming that has a different ethos. It's mm. not about uh, for for American television and American tele. I'm not a basher of American programming. It's just different. Uh, I'm not a basher of American acting. It's just different. Uh, the fact that uh, the the ethos for American um, broadcasting was let's make a program for 20 years if we can mm. versus Let's make a program for six episodes, and um, largely because the actors were in the middle of other gigs. You know, it, it's the the acting is different, uh, the ethos is different. They they're able to tell uh, small tales grandly. I think would be the best way of saying it, and th- that acclimatized me to a certain type of broadcasting that uh, I it, it just was so. It, it's it's like. You know, it's like going home. You know, it's so comforting. Um, and and later on, as as 
certain specialty channels uh, opened up in, in Canada, YTV, for example, had tons of British program because they had it, it's YTV for, for youth television. Uh, but they had, you know, 24 hours is a lot of time to cover. So they just imported a lot of cheap uh, BBC, ITV stuff. And, and some new favorites came. I mean, I'm a big fan of Chef. I'm not a big fan of Lenny Henry's humor. Hmm. Uh, but the first two seasons of Chef are hilarious. And, and uh, I, have, I still have all of Yes, Prime Minister on tape that I got from YTV. And, I, and uh, A&E was showing Blake 7. And so, like, the, the thing that I like about um, British program, British programming in particular, is that you get the sense that they're whether or not you're watching the show from the beginning to the the middle, uh, you walk you walk into the show and you can tell it there's there's part of a larger story, and so mm-hmm. you can figure things out. You're almost forced to figure. You know, it was before the internet, so you had to figure things out, and you had to figure out what everybody's relationship, especially Blake Seven. I was so fascinated with a few of the characters. I was like, wow. How else am I going to – how am I going to catch up with all of this? It's such a grand story and it's so compelling for what I don't know. And so it forced me to go back and, and obsessively try to, to, to watch the other episodes. So um, as, as specialty channels opened up, I, I just really dove into uh, uh, all things British. Uh, you know, I, I'm partially of British uh, ancestry as well, so it was, uh, it was a way to sort of uh, – Reconnect with my reconnect my, and re- reacclimatize yourself to it. Exactly, and That's you know it. the thing. I, I remember a professor of mine was showing an episode of Yes Minister um, about uh, the tobacco lobby, and everyone's bored out of their mind. But but I, I've learned more about politics in that show than I have in you know you know hundred hours of civics class or pol- political science <laughs> class. It, it's it was it was. Uh, it, it's a, it's part of uh, it's part of the furniture in my, in my childhood mind, I suppose. Mm. Just no, that's that, that's I think that's the um, the thing that I've, I've sort of come across most uh, when I've been speaking to people from sort of North America. It, it's what you've just described is how they've sort of got connected to Doctor Who, um, but connected Doctor Who in the what's now termed the classic series. Uh, what about the new series when it came back in two thousand and five? Obviously, it was a a vast sort of tonal shift, I suppose you could say, in the way the show was presented to um, to the public. Uh, how, what's your view on that? I mean, um, a lot of people do bash Russell T. Davis for introducing what is now termed as the soap opera element to Doctor Who, but on the other hand, that's what has sort of guaranteed its, its success. How, how do you feel about the, 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 the way the show's gone now? Well, I remember... Uh the CBC, the Canadian Broadcap- Broadcasting Corporation, was uh, a a co-partner with uh, the Wales BBC, mm. the Welsh BBC. So uh, I, I, we used to, I think it was on Thursday nights. It was broadcast. It was broadcast a little bit later than original air date. But mm-hmm. uh, I heard, oh, Doctor Who is coming back. Oh my, I, I was so excited about, it. and and yet I had a lot of trepidation because. Uh, is the Phantom Menace going to the syndrome going to creep into yet another uh, popular childhood uh, Pop- fra- franchise and, and, and beloved franchise as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I never watched. I haven't even watched uh, the the Doctor Who movie in 1996 until maybe about two years ago for for a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, you know, 
I'm not the most plugged in guy, but everybody else seemed to hate it. And I said, okay, well, so much for that. Doctor Who will, I, I knew that it, it was existing in uh, print form and, and um, there was a, a growing audio book thing. And I, I really think that the show will survive one way or the other. But the fact that it came back uh, with Christopher Eccleston, an actor I really, really respect, uh, held my breath. First episode, pretty good. Didn't suck. I, I was I was blown blown away, and then uh, I was just a regular watcher uh, from that point on. I think the first series is uneven, but it was after the second series, in particular uh, school reunion, that it was something I was watching to something I was promoting. Yeah, and from that point, I uh, uh, look. I'm not a big fan of the romance, but I have to understand. But but for all of these uh, all of these guys and well. <laughs> Old farts who are, you know, waxing poetic about the Pertwee years or even the Davison years or whatever time that they got on. Mm. Uh, the show is not just about you. It's not about when the sh- when you got on the show. The show has changed. That's why there's so much of it. Exactly. That's why there's so uh, there, there's kind of a this weird um, who diaspora from from all around the world. And if you don't like uh, one particular era, wait. If you're not just a fan of the audiovisual, you, there's there's the Target books, there's the audio, you know, the Big Finish, which are I'm really just beginning to get into, and they're they're really fantastic, and and it's all tied together by love. It's all tied together by people who really get the show. You don't get the impression that they're they're just there for the paycheck, hmm. and and so it's really impossible. I, I don't think that there is a canon in Doctor Who in that way. I don't think there's the you know the all-knowing bearded man who who can say what is real and what is not and what is less worthy of the canon, because it's all part of a continuum, and it's all part of um, a chorus of fans who approach it differently. It's it's like the the old story of uh, you know three blind men touching an elephant. One touches the store the the tail. One touches the leg. One touches the trunk, and they describe totally different creatures. Mm. Some people don't like classic who they like the new who uh they can't get into the wobbly effects that's fine some people can't get into the target books that's fine uh i don't think that it's when you get on the show it's the and and the fact that we still have a show like this is because it embraces change it's in its dna and uh i I, that's why i don't like like i don't like purists in doctor who and I, i don't think you find too many of them you know purity is good for race wars and metallurgy Exactly. And that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, I, I think there's a, there are certain some fans who, who are a little bit, um, like a sort of, I don't want to say militant, but not, not not sort of like fascist either. But I think there is still an element of of the beardy brigades there. So <laughs> yeah. I think it still exists in some form. But um, but it has it has lessened because I think as as you were saying, it is so diversified and it is a show about change. And, and well, that, I think that's why it has survived for so long. I think, though, um, that, and that's one of the reasons that I've really gotten, in, gotten into it. I'm not the most tech savvy. I'm not somebody who embraces social media. I, I, I'd never go online and say, just ate a burrito. Because <laughs> I, I, I understand myself. I'm uninteresting to the, <laughs> the extreme. I'll go online to, to share some uh, some 
droplets of, of Whovian lore with, with other fine folks out there. But, but that's more as a public persona yeah. uh, and not as, as myself. Um, I'm, not, I'm not, really, not really interested, but I, I realized uh, – because I had been working uh, on Sound on Sight for a few years at the time. And we started out as a radio program. Yeah. Uh, like a real radio show and we had to uh, be succinct and we had to, you know, so, so some of the formatting stuff that we used and that we learned uh, as, as a, a live radio program and community radio, I still carry over. And uh, it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great learning ground to actually have uh, a deadline. You have yeah. to stop at this point, and I, I really wish some podcasts would do that <laughs> because <laughs> I mean I love them all. I love them all, and and the show is so big that you can look at it from different perspectives. But seriously, try to get it under an hour or something. But yeah, um, yeah that's but, it. That's it. But but, uh, but, how, how, um, but why, why did um, Sound and Sight go sort of veer towards Doctor? Because you do cover there's a multitude of various sort of. Um, so I could put geek media things you um, that you feature in in, in your shows, but um, what 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 was it about? Who decided to do Doctor Who? Well, the the short answer is me. Okay, uh, but we 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 started off as a as a film review um, a radio show. Then we got into the internet, and then by and large, um, some of the uh, some of the regular contributors had just focused almost entirely on television. Because it's some of the most compelling media. And we started a Walking Dead podcast. We always sort of had like a kind of slightly culty um, genre film perspective. Like we, we would – I always said that we cover everything from the art house to the grindhouse. We always sort of had that focus. and um, But we were always – our ethos, our North Star in this case is, is um, critical but loving eye. We can love something and still point out its flaws, which is the perfect thing, the ethos to, to look at Doctor Who. And now the, the, the show's um, founder, the website's founder, I call him the mother of the show, um, <laughs> he, he, he'll never admit to this, but I think he was trying to provoke me into a Doctor Who podcast because uh, he, he said, hey, Derek, I hear there's a Doctor Who podcast. And this is a year or so before. And I was like, there's a Doctor Who podcast. This is back then, so there was only 400. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, re- and I remember um, I, I was really in, engaged into the show at the time. And I remember one time I, um, I talked at a wedding uh, for about an hour and a half about Doctor Who. Wow. And, and, a, and a good deal of it uh, got into a, an article I wrote, um, almost word for word, an article I wrote called Why Doctor Who Conquered Television Again. And, and it almost word per word. And, and I, I, I said, uh, uh, when, uh, when Ricky D said, well, what should we do? And I said, well, there's only one program that totally matches up. It's Doctor Who. It's, it's eccentric. It's, um, it's got this weird fan base. And it's, uh, it's got the type of people who will have the kind of debates that we normally have on the show, which is you know, very passionate, very uh, wild and fancy free, but you know, ultimately respectful and, and, you know, the, the, the ethos I like to, to embrace is that you can have any opinion you want. There is no dogma. It, there should be no dogma no. In, uh, no. in, when you're debating anything. You shouldn't know if you like a film before you watch it. 
And there are no wrong answers in Doctor Who. It's you have to back it up, though. If you're going to say something, then, then you have to back it up. And one of my, my colleagues, uh, Lindsay Wood, uh, said she loved the 1996 movie and she defended herself. And so that, that's the thing I like. When I saw a, a panel at a Comic-Con or something like that of young girls between – well, young women, let's say, uh, between 18 and <laughs> – and, and 30, all dressed as sevens and sixes and fives and nines. I was like, there's something going on here. There's something about this show that appeals to so many people. And if it's not now, then when will I ever engage in fandom? I didn't engage in fandom uh, when I was a kid. I was you know, the only Who fan I knew. Mm. But and, and as a general rule, um, I'm of the Mark Twain school of thought. I'd never be a part of a club that would have me as a member. And I... I, I just – I was hoping, fingers crossed when I got into this, that the, the fandom would be as generally nice as I thought it would be. And I've not been wrong. It's been a real thrill uh, meeting um, random people from around the world, not just in the Anglosphere too, um, and, and, and including yourself, like, like people I've been listening to for years. This is one – this is part of my, my master plan as well is getting to know people who only existed as – uh, a voice on my computer and my laptop, so it's it's been fantastic. It is actually quite a good um, sort of arena to be involved in, isn't it? it there is uh, some, and I same as you, I've met some absolutely fantastic people through uh, through Doctor Who and and podcasting in general. So um, we've <laughs> we've got a, a, a Canadian to thank, Sidney Newman, for all of this. At least one. At least one. At least one. Well. Um, I sort of nearly time to sort of wrap up this interview, but I just sort of got one sort of final question. Um, obviously, we're in the in the fiftieth year of Doctor Who, and we've got a fiftieth anniversary special to come in November. Um, what would you like to see? What's your wish list for the fiftieth anniversary special? Uh, a, a multi. Do, do you have one? That's that's the thing. I I, I don't have a wish list. Uh, for say, I, I want a multi-doctor special that because um, we, we, you and I, we've actually we've talked about three multi-doctor specials. We have indeed. Uh, yeah. uh, some better than others. I, I wish for <laughs> one that um, makes sense. Yeah. Um, because a lot of them they don't really kind of make sense, and a lot of them are just checklists. You know, the greatest hits sort of thing, which are fine. Which are fine because. Um, I, I I don't like you know um, well this is for the fans or thing as a general rule a show should live uh, should should live and die uh, by its own writing and some of the multi doctor specials are are not so good in that regard on the other hand they're also very enjoyable to watch it's it's like a family reunion and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy when Rose and and David Tennant come back on screen and I'm sure there's going to be some beautiful, beautiful banter between the two doctors. I just hope that it makes a lick of sense. And, and, uh, cause for a lot of people, this might be aside from, uh, tenants. I always forget the name of this. Is it time crash? It's time. Crash. It is time crash. Yes. yes. Uh, that might be their only multi-doctor experience. And so I hope it's something for newer fans, um, uh, to make it a chronic condition, they'll, they'll they'll watch it and then they're stuck from this point on. If if they're if this is just something that they're kind of dabbling in, uh, that but for the show for to for them to watch something that uh, embraces the show history and and pulls it off, uh, I think that will make 
truly chronic lifelong fans for for some of the younger people i um i don't really have a wish list um i uh other than not being disappointed um i i i wish i had a tardis to go uh next year to watch uh the eighth series of Doctor Who, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I would I would have to say uh, I'm kind of hoping that that Stephen Moffat bows down. I, I think he's just been overworked with Sherlock, uh, and as a sh- he he's not as good a showrunner as he is a is a writer mm-hmm. uh, because he, I, and I, a, a, co- a common uh, criticism leveled against him. And, and I'm trying to I'm trying to understand why that is. And then I saw him in an interview, and he said, "Well." Who am I to say what Doctor Who is? And so when I get writers, I, I said, you're the writer. You deal with that. I said, no, you're the executive producer. You're the guy who has to say what that series is going to be. You have to define something. Mm. And that's why I think the last couple of seasons have been a little uh, bipolar between an episode being very important and then you know playing in a dollhouse for an episode. It, it just it, – it, there's – uh, an inconsistent quality uh, and, and I know some people really hate uh, Series 6 I thought it was ambitious I just didn't think it pulled it off hmm. it was an okay series it could have been really a great series so it could have been outstanding television uh, and, and we need maybe somebody who's not a writer but a good producer uh, and you know hey if we're talking about diversity and we want to give a woman a job why don't we give her a writing job that would make two since the show came back in 2005. I think there's enough. I think I think we should break up the old boys network of of regular faces, and I, I'm I'd be interested in seeing what else Neil Cross could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but you know let's let's break that up. Uh, you know let's let's try something new. And I think as much as I like Mark Gatiss, maybe we need. Somebody who's totally off the beaten path uh, for Doctor Who, um, just to get out of the rut. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It, as, as we said, it is a show about change, and not just for the character, but it should also be behind the scenes as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, he's he's responsible for some of the best Doctor Who, not since the show began again, but since. Ever, in in its entire history, mm. Stephen Moffat has written some of the best episodes. Um, but uh, and I think maybe his best episode is right in front of him. But I think it's time for for a new for a new man at the or a woman at the top, uh, reflecting and embracing some of the things that the newer fans are uh, are asking for. Because yeah. uh, uh, it's it's not about you know the men and it's always the men. Who are going to watch the show anyway? The, the men in their forties and fifties are going to watch the show anyway. People it, like me, it, yes. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I'm thirty-eight. You know, I'm I, I'm an old fart too. I I the 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 one thing that has surprised me time and time again is how passionate younger fans are and how well informed they are and how articulate they are. And that to me has been. It, it, it's not just about the show; it's about relating to other people. Uh, other fantastic, informed, and articulate people. That has been really the eye-opening thing for me. And uh, we, we can't turn our backs on them. because Just because something has tradition doesn't mean uh, we can't look forward. And, and I really hope we embrace some of the ideas that have been put out there. And I hope, um, I hope the show lives up to its ethos. Um, other than that, um, 
I, I have no other. I have nothing <laughs> else. I have nothing else on my wish list than other than be excellent, and and perhaps uh, be kind to each other. That's it. Those are my two things. Those your two. Uh, for, well, I so think if, I, if it's not too much to ask. Well, I think that is an excellent uh, point to end the interview. So that that is a, a nice positive point as well. So. Well. Well, Derek, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Well, I'm glad uh, it was my pleasure. The pleasure's all mine to be on board. Uh, and as I said, uh, you're one of the bright light. You're one of the bright lights in the universe for me. So it's, uh, it's oh, that's absolute, absolute very pleasure. kind of you to say so. Thanks very much. Good night. listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance.